Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. We're in a, uh, we're, we're kicking off a series today, and for the next three weeks, we're going to be going through a series, and it's titled Blessed. Tell the person next to you that they are blessed to be sitting next to you tonight. They're blessed to be sitting next to you. You know, I want to give you some good news this week. I received the text message, and I am blessed. I received the text message saying that I'm receiving $6.8 million from a random lottery. And there were some beautiful people in the people in the place of Congo who are wanting to be able to send me $6.8 million. Your pastor is blessed. And I gave all my details to them, they're lovely people, and I'm just waiting for the money to come into my account now. I'm ready for it, it's gonna be fantastic. If you receive a message from Congo, do not respond. Uh, you know, in this series, uh, over the next three weeks, we wanna preach a little bit. Today I want to be able to do some teaching here today. I want to be able to unpack some scriptural truths that I believe are going to help people here today. And uh, today I'm going to share a message called First Things First. First Things First. In the next two weeks, uh, we're going to share, share on the power of stewardship. You know, I've, got a, I've got a conviction that God is a generous God that does not hold out and that when we use what He's already given us, we don't need to rely on miracles every single day. But God is actually calling us to be good stewards. And next week, there'll be an incredibly practical opportunity because I want to empower people to, to have an understanding of, of how to be good stewards here in our house. we are super practical next week. And then my beautiful wife, the week after, um, she's going to preach on why I went on a hot date with yesterday, by the way. I went on a hot date into the city with Ali. Uh, we offloaded the kids which is fantastic. We went and got us some seafood lunch and it was a, a great time. I, I love my wife with all my heart and uh, she's one of the most generous people I know and she's going to be speaking on this topic of generosity. And uh, in, our, in our church, we have a, a, a list of values. We have some DNA that we want to be and one of our one of bits of our DNA is our joy is generosity. And I want us to be known as the generous church. I want us to be known as individuals who are generous, who understand the blessings that God has given them and not to be holding them down, but then also to be be givers of of the blessings that we've been indeed given. And so in this series, we're going to talk a little bit bit about money. But this series, I want to say to you here this morning, there's a a series so much more than just money. Some of you already just got a bit nervous. (laughs) In this series, we're going to talk about the goodness and generosity of God the Father. That we worship a God when in Genesis 1, from the very start, we see that when He creates creation, when He develops, you know, creates man and woman, He develops all the, the, the birds and the skies and the, everything that we see around us, He blesses them. He blesses them. And He blesses even the rest from the work that we have. He is a blessing God. And in this series, we want to talk about the patterns and the rhythms of God and how we can place our trust in them as we are obediently following His commands. You want to start this series by saying what this series is not about. This series is not about a rattling of the tin moment, tin moment, where we want to rattle the tin and say, hey, we need a few extra bucks for the church. It's not at all. In fact, our church is in a really healthy position. 
we've got a board of directors and we've got people who steward our resources incredibly well. And we take pride in that and we take really, that being a very serious thing in our church. And we're not in a desperate kind of moment, by no means. We're in a good space. This series is not about a manipulative presentation where at the end of it, I'm going to spring a little secret offering on you guys and surprise, we've got a special offering as well. And No, no, I'm not going to be doing that. I want to be able to teach the Word of God and for you guys to be able to go home and be able to contemplate and seek God to have your own revelation and then be able to apply it into your own families. And today is also not a judgment on our generosity. I think that our church is actually one of the most generous churches that I know about. I think about Anine and Jenny Simpson, who for many, many years have been generous, and not just generous with their income, but generous with who they are. I've had a couple of meals at the Filipovic's house at the back there. Some of the most generous people that I know about. You can't go and get a single steak from their house. You get 19 steaks from their house. I think of a Claire and Andrew Gray, who have pastored about church so wonderfully for so many years, who have been generous beyond measure. I think of a Jenny Saka. I think of a Ruth Atava. I think of generosity flows easily in our church. So by no means is this any kind of judgment on our church. And I know here today that there'll be some people who will have already caught this revelation. And my encouragement today is to come to be spurred on, to, be, to, to keep, on, keep on doing the journey. But for others here, you might be thinking, what is Dan talking about here today? And I want to be a good pastor to you. It's because sometimes good pastors need to challenge their people. And you want a good pastor who wants to challenge you with the Word of God. And last time I checked, sometimes things in the Word of God can challenge the flesh. That can be, can, can be a, a little bit of a, oh, that's, that almost hurts a little bit. And I want to encourage you here this morning that we're in good days. And I, uh, I want to encourage you that if, if you never get challenged in church, maybe we've become a little bit sanitized to the comings and gatherings. And it's healthy for us to be challenged from time to time. And so I want to be able to do that. Hey, Andy, Amy, you're here today. So good to see you guys. These guys gave birth. Well, Andy didn't do anything in that. Um, Amy did all the hard work. Little Corey, is she around? Is she, is she awake? Do you want to do a little Simba hold up just for a second there? Proud, proud dad moment. There you go. The circle of life. These guys are legends. We love them heaps. And uh, I'm praying for a whole bunch more Andys and, and Amys in our church and little Cora. She's, she's blessed, and she's blessed with the best. She's got, she's got parents who love her, who want to walk in the ways of God. And we uh, speak life over you, little Cora. Little Cora. Let me pray. Father God, we, we give you all the glory here today. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to be able to come and open our minds, open our hearts to truth here today. Help us to be people who walk with revelation and truth not just feelings and, 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 and sways every time the wind moves direction. Holy Spirit, help us today. Help our church go before us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank Hendo for us, please. Thank you, Hendo. First things first, first things first. I, I, my, my grandma, um, may she rest in peace now, my, my grandma used to always come and say, now first things first, Dan, and it was always a common thing to say, like, make sure you get the first things in first. And as you read the Bible, you'll see that God is a God of patterns. God is a God of rhythms. God is a God of intentional design. 
And one of the most important things that he institutes from the very beginning of his word is that God must be first. God must be first. And if you hear anything else here today, I want to encourage you that God must be first in every area of our life. Even from the beginnings of, the, of when Moses toddled up the mountain and he toddled back down the mountain with the, with, the, uh, with the commandments, what were the first two commandments? Number one? No other gods before me. He wants to be first. Number two? No idols. He doesn't want anything in the way. He doesn't want any kind of gaps or or the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. God must be first. He must be first in our homes, first in our marriages, first in our families, first in our careers, first in our diaries, first in our worship, first in our priorities, first in our commitments. God must be first. If we're going to worship Him today, let's worship Him as the one, not the second, third, and fourth option, but He is the one. He is the one true living God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we want to encourage, I want to encourage you here today that we are called to be able to worship him as number one. You know, as a church, we want to try and practice this. At the start of every year, we do something and just get yourself prepared for this. I know this is not everyone's cup of tea, their favourite thing to do. But at the start of every year, we want to start the year where we seek God. We ask God to go before us. We go to a place of prayer and fasting. This year, we did 10 days of prayer and fasting. Guess what we're doing next year? We're doing 10 days of prayer and fasting. You better be praying right now that the Holy Spirit doesn't ask me to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. But I'm calling, we want to start the year in a place where we seek God. We make Him number one. Where we say, God, no matter what happens throughout this year, I'm pre-committing that this time next year, I want to be worshipping you and placing you at the centre above all else. Now we start every single month as a church with an event or a moment which we call first. And first is all about seeking God and placing Him at number one. We come together, we pray, we worship, we share communion on Monday nights. I want to encourage us, let's get along to those moments where you can. My good friend Ruth would agree that it is one of the best nights and best things that we do all month long here in church. We start our month in that way. We start every single week on a Sunday here with a place where we want to worship God and make Him number one. God is number one. I know I'm preaching to the converted here today and I know it's sort of school holidays and so forth, but I want to encourage every single person, let's make this weekly attendance, let's make this weekly gathering a priority in our worlds that we do. And we can start every single day making God number one. I call it the first 15. Five minutes in the Word, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship. I can guarantee that if you start doing that every single day, your world will start to be transformed, renewed. So we can start every single moment where we pre-commit to the God must be first. And we can place God first when it comes to our finances and our possessions and our materials. You know, as I was doing a bit of research into this topic here today, and I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're wanting more insight, I've been able to read a book which I believe is one of the best books on this topic. It's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And in this little book, it actually outlined the fact that there was, there's been 500 verses that's been apportioned to prayer. There's 500 verses that's been apportioned to faith. There's more than 2,000 verses that are given towards money and possessions and riches. 
And Jesus talks about, in here, he has 38 uh, parables in his teachings, and 16 of them are apportioned to possessions and wealth. And today, I'm going to, re- I'm going to be able to refer to a, a few principles, but I believe that God is wanting his church to be equipped when it comes to the subject of money and possessions. And more than just being a provision, more than just being a, a blessing, I am convinced that, our, that the money that comes into us, the, that the possessions, the increase that comes into our worlds is actually also serving as a bit of a test for us as well. And today, as we refer to these principles, the first principle that I really want you to understand and grasp is the principle of the firstborn, the principle of the first fruit, which is also known as the principle of the tithe. If you've got your Bibles here today, why don't we, uh, when we start, we've got about seven or eight different scriptures I want to be able to look at here today. And uh, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 13, verses 12. Exodus 13, verses, oh, sorry, actually, t- verse 2, actually, sorry. I actually might have given you the wrong, uh, the wrong verse there, Harms. Um, if you want to just whack up verse 2 up there, um, that would be great. It says, consecrate, this is what the, the verse 2 says, consecrate to me, and consecrate means set it aside, make it holy. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among Israel belongs to me. And here God is plainly and clearly saying the firstborn is his. It's mine. It belongs to him. And it's vital that we understand this principle here today is that the principle of the firstborn is the firstborn was either sacrificed or redeemed. Everyone say sacrificed. Sacrificed. Or redeemed. Sacrificed or redeemed. We're going to understand contextually, most people during these times, they were what? They were farmers. They needed to be able to raise crops. They needed to be able to raise animals. And this was how they actually got income. This is how they actually became, out of a sense of wealth, this was their currency they often operated within. This is how they lived during this time. And so let's say you had a sheep. Let's say you had a ewe. And your ewe had a lamb. Now, the principle was here, the, the sacrifice here, was that every time you wanted to be able to go and worship God, and again, churches or temples during those times are very different to what we see here today. Let me give you a bit of history right now. Temples during those times would look more like abattoirs. There was like, you know, there was, there was, there was killings of, of animals. There was like a big barbecue going on the whole time. And that there was, a, there was, there was, a, there was an organisation where people would come and they would sacrifice their, 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 their lambs or their, their meat in a, in a way to be able to worship God. Obviously, here today, we walk through the doors and we get to be able to sing songs and, and worship looks slightly different today. However, this is the way that they would worship God. And so they would come in with their, with their, with their, with their lamb and they'd worship God, you'd sacrifice it. And if it was defected, let's say it was born with a broken leg or it had some sort of, like it was missing an ear or something like that, poor old lamb missing an ear, um, you would then redeem it with a lamb that was named as Spotless that was perfect, that was clean. And I'm not too sure about you, but as I start thinking about this sort of, this sort of principle, my head goes to a place I've been thinking about some parallels that we see elsewhere in Scripture. We start to see how we all are like the, the broken, we are like the, the blemished, the unclean lambs. But Jesus... 
Jesus, as John the Baptist declares, he, when he says, here is the spotless lamb, here is the son of God, he, he is the person that would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for us. And what happens is that when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus, when God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, what happens is that though we were blemished, though we couldn't go to the cross, though we couldn't save ourselves, when God made a way where there was no other way, we were redeemed by Jesus Christ. We were given new life because he was the spotless lamb. And my head goes to this place of, of how God would go before us in order to show us the way. He redeemed us by his sacrifice. He brought us back to God. And what's so amazing to me in this particular case is that, that God does this. He gives his son Jesus in faith. And before we even believed, he would send his one and only son to the cross to be able to make a way for us. One of my most favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is Romans 5 verses 8, where it says God demonstrates. In other words, God showed us that whilst we'll still sinners, that key word, whilst, Whilst we're still sinners, Christ died for us. There were no guarantees. There was no, we'll wait to see if Lauren Henderson will give her life to Christ and then I'll send my son to Jesus to die. No, no, no. He sent his son to the cross. He made a way for us and he became the sacrifice so that we may become redeemed. This is the gospel. The first belongs to God. And that's what tithing really is here today. Tithing really is. It's giving our first to God. It's saying, God, I'm going to give you the first and I'm going to trust in you to redeem the rest. The tithe is very much a trust thing. And it always takes faith to be able to give the first. It always takes faith to give the first. Ali and I, as I said yesterday, we went on a, on a date into the city. We're walking down to Darling Harbour and, uh, and we're doing what all couples who have gotten rid of their kids do. You just sit there in quietness and you bask in anything. How wonderful is this? But we're walking down a hill that's on the way down to Darling Harbour. And Ali just made this mention. I've forgotten exactly how you said it, but she said, where the goodness of God is, in, is indeed upon our life. And as we look at the situation of the present day that we find ourselves in, we can look back and see that over our 14 or 15 years of being married now, We've pre-committed to this principle of the first fruit, of the firstborn, of the tithe. And we can now see the provisions and the goodness of God upon our life. And now we bask in this place where there's a testimony that flows from our life of God is good. But we pre-committed to this idea we make him number one in every single area of our life. You know, when we tithe, we're saying to God, I'm putting you first in my life and I trust you to take care of the rest. Let's look at, let's look at some more scriptures um, here today. Exodus 23, verses 19. Exodus 23, verses 19. It says, The first of the first fruits of your land shall bring, so you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So look what, God, what part God's interested in. Is he interested in the second part? You can talk with me. Is he interested in the second part? No. Third part? Fourth part? What part are you interested in? He's interested in the first part here. He's all interested in. I've got a, I've got a little bit of a demonstration here today. Okay? I've got $100 here. Okay? Don't get too excited over here, guys. I'm not getting it out. All right. 
I got hundred dollars. I got ten ten dollar notes. No, no, I didn't tell you about this. Uh, I'm going to give it to you, though. All right? This is this is this is this is this is for you. Um, now, let's say this is our income. This is this is this is our our increase. This is what we get. Um, who knows that you know petrol costs are going up these days. We need to pay some petrol. Um, it used to be five dollars, but now it's ten dollars. We've got to pay ten dollars. All right? Um, We've got mortgage costs or rent costs. We've got to make sure we put away some money for that. Um, we've got to make sure we pay for things like school fees and make sure that we have the uh, things covered like that, making sure we're good to go. Um, registrations and, and whatnot and car costs. Um, we've got um, for that. What else is there? Um, Eyebrow waxing, we're going to make sure that's a priority. That's definitely $10 right there. Um, and, uh, you know... There's sports and whatnot, and um, I'm just going to give thirty dollars to uh, to Kmart because I know that's where my income goes. I don't know how it happens. Ali says I'm just going to pop out just for a few minutes, and suddenly there's like there's thirty dollars given to Kmart, and um, oh, I got um, I got a few dollars. I'm, I'm going to tithe now. Okay, where's that first fruit gone? It's last. We want to be in a place here today where for Ali and I, the way we set this up, so that we can indeed honour God with the first of our firsts, what we do is that I know that we get paid on a Wednesday. We both get paid on Wednesdays, actually. And so Wednesday night, guess what happens? Tithe goes out. So what happens is that it comes first. And God's in a place where he can bless the first. He's interested in the first. There you go, Thelm. Um, actually, can you give that? I'm going to get that. It's actually Theo's money. It's not, it's not even mine. Where's Theo? Thank you, Theo. Come, actually, come here, Theo. Come here, come here, come here. Oh, no, she says. I love Theo. She, this year, has been a blessing to me. She has... Um, even your family's cheering you on here, okay? Um, she, she's the sort of individual that, no matter what I can ask, she makes it happen. And um, I love her. Well done. Everyone give it... So you see, the first, it matters. It matters. But then the scripture also says, where does it bring it to? He says, you shall bring it into the, the, uh, bring it to the house of the Lord your God. We bring it into the house that you belong to. This is the pattern. As you obediently and faithfully give into God's house, I'm declaring here that the promise of God will be in a place where you watch the testimonies unfold in your own house. And Ali and I, we don't live in the most grand place. We don't have the most amazing sports cars. But it's actually not important to us. We have this security knowing that God is with us. That he's central to everything part of our life. That his hand is indeed upon our marriage, upon our family. And God is good. And there's a testimony that flows in and through us because of that. Let's look at another scripture, Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10 here today. Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10. It says, Honour the Lord with your wealth. Other translations say possessions. Other translations say riches. Honour the Lord with your wealth. In other words, we can now not just give, we can honour God with the first fruits of all your crops. Again, contextually, remember that most people were farmers during this time. The way that they had to increase is that when their, their livestock gave birth or when their crops grew, this is the way that they had this sort of currency. This is how they would be able to use what they have to be able to honour and be able to worship God. 
And so the increase came in, in crops and harvests. Um, for us today, our increase generally looks like a wage. I went to another church and preached there a few weeks ago, and I was given an offering. I tithe on that offering that's been given to me. Why? Because it's an increase. It's something that comes into my world that God has provided and God has blessed me with. So what do I do? I trust him first and I give to him in a way where I trust him to be able to do the rest. So it says, honour the Lord your God, so honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, everyone say it then. Then, this, this is where the pattern takes place. As we do what God has instructed, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be brim to the new um, with sorry with brim with um, with brim over with new wine. So we see a promise here from God. But what we don't want to be in the place is, God, I pray the prayer will my barns be filled without first honouring Him. <laughs> God, help those people from Congo to bless me, but I'm not going to tithe. <laughs> We're in a place where we honour God first, then the barns and, and, and new wine will come. We honour God with the first. We honour God with the first. Uh, recently, I was um, rereading one of my most favourite um, stories in the Bible, which is about Joshua. Who likes Joshua in the Bible? Joshua's a legend. I love him. Um, I think Moses is my favourite character, if you can have one, after Jesus, of course. And, um, but if I want to meet somebody in heaven, I, I can't wait to be able to meet Moses. But obviously the guy who succeeds him, Joshua, um, he's got an incredible story. And uh, you know, obviously we know Joshua 1, where he says, you know, be strong and courageous, and that's declared over him four or five times. I think God declares that because he knows of the journey he's going to be going into. You know, He's going into the promised land, which everyone celebrates, but before he fully has his permission to be able to obtain it all, what has to happen? He has to defeat 31 different territories. There's a contestment. There's a battle. I want to encourage every single person right now, if you feel like you're walking into some promised days right now, don't be shy of the way, the fact that there'll be some contestments going on. And so Joshua was in a place where, where was the first place he went to? Now this is like bubble quiz time today. He goes to Jericho. And most of us know the story about Jericho, about how God says, I'm going to help you to defeat Jericho. But it's not in the traditional modes. It's not in the traditional models. It's not the way that you're going to use your, your weaponry and fight as you would normally do. He gives this weird kind of instruction. says, I want you to walk around the, the perimeter one day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times. And at the end of that, what I want you to do, I want you to be able to give a loud shout and the walls will come down. And guess what happens? The walls came down. And God handed Jericho to the Israelites in a mighty victory. But God had one more little bit of instruction that was really important during this time. He says that with the spoils, the Bible says in chapter 6, with the spoils of what you would find in Jericho, that one's not for you. He's applying this principle of the first here. This one's not for you. I want you to go and use that in the temple. I want you to be able to give that to the house. And so what happens is that the Israelites... They don't take, except for one guy, old sticky fingers aching. He sees some of the loot, some of the gold, some of the silver. And what's he do? He says, I'll have a bit of that, thanks. And he actually buries it under, the Bible says in chapter 7, he buries it underneath his bed. I'm convinced Ali's got like cash underneath our bed somewhere. It's like just cash little deposits he puts away. He says, that's just for me later on. It's for your, your eyebrows and all that kind of stuff. 
True story, we actually, we go out to dinner at times and I'm there trying to order a meat dish of some description and she goes to the ladies, you have wonderful eyebrows. I was like, and I'll have the meat, thanks. Um, <laughs> but the, the first notice, okay, and why did, why was Jericho important? Because it was the first city. The rest of the cities they conquer, not once does God then say, hey, I want you to bring, bring, bring the spoils of that. But set aside the first, trust me with the last. And here's an important kind of thought. The guys didn't necessarily know how much they were going to be getting in the other cities. Jericho, for all we know, knew, could have been the most wealthy, profitable opportunity to get the most kind of income. But God says, trust me with this, I'll look after you with the rest. Trust me with this, I'll look after you with the rest. Uh, when the story of Achan comes out, um, we actually see the words in Joshua 6 verses 18 that he actually becomes cursed because he robs, because he withholds from God. And throughout all of scripture, blessed or cursed is how the tithe is referred to. Let's move to one more scripture, one or two more scriptures now, possibly the one of the most famous scriptures when it comes to, to giving. When we read Malachi 3 verses 8 through to 12, the context of this scripture is that, that God's actually calling the people back to repentance. The Israelites have been little naughty boys and little naughty girls, and he's calling them back to a place where he becomes the number one person that they worship. And what happens during this time is that he makes it clear that if we're going to keep the tithe to ourselves, we're actually robbing God. So verse 8 says, Should the people cheat God? This is God speaking, by the way. You have cheated me. And God's not all that happy right now. But you ask, what do you mean? It's like a good teenager. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, God. What are you talking about? When did we ever cheat you? Watch this here. It says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings. And what's more, you are now under a curse. But what I love about God and God being God, he makes a way, he finds an opportunity for us to be redeemed. So he says, hey, turn away from that way of living. And verse 10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And again, here's the pattern. If you do... If you do this, we all love the next verse, but if you do this first, then I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says, try it. What's the next? Put me to the test. I can tell you over now almost 20 years of following this practice, following this principle of placing God at the centre, my testimony says that my, the windows of heaven are indeed opened. And sometimes it looks different to the way we want them to always be seen. Sometimes there's a, a blessing that's actually more important to you than what you seek out to have. But God is a blesser. It says, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from the insects and the disease. Your grapes will not fall from the wine, uh, from the vine before they are ripe. Then all nations, I love this, this is the testimony that comes and flows. Then all nations around you will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. What a promise here this morning. But again, that pattern, as we bring the tires into the storehouse, then the windows of heaven will be opened. 
I want to wrap up here this morning. And um, Hendo, why don't, you, why don't you jump back up here? We started in Exodus chapter 13 here today, talking about the first fruits and the principle of the first fruits. I, w- I want to finish here today um, a few verses down in verses 14 to 15. And these, this scripture is one that's deeply a part of the journey that I'm on currently right now with my own little girl. And it says these words, In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? And let me give you a bit of context. What's happening in this particular scripture is that Israel is talking about this idea of how we are to talk to our kids about the mighty hand of God, the goodness of God. And it's like, that, it's like a father sitting down with a child in a way where they can actually start saying, hey, this is, this is what God's done for me. It's like they're saying, hey, remember the time we were in um, Egypt? Remember the, the scars on our back? Remember the 12-hour the shifts we put in? Remember how we had no freedom? What the Father's talking about here is that there is now this freedom they can experience. And what, what, what they're saying is, with the, with the mighty hand of the Lord, they brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. And this is why I sacrificed the Lord, all the male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. He's talking about the fact that they were once slaves, but God delivered us. He's talking about the fact that they were not free, but God granted them freedom. Because they are now set free, they now have this sacred covenant to keep Him first in their lives. My little girl, she receives $2 a week in pocket money. And uh, we actually got really bad at getting to a point where we would have actually $2 coins. So we've actually got this little card now and the money goes automatically to it. Ivy has to do a few things to uh, earn the pocket money, I guess. And we started talking about this idea of, well, as we have increase, we tithe on it. And so Ivy's in a place where, you know, 20 cents, we put it aside and we find a place where we can actually talk to her about the importance of giving and savings. And, and I'm in a place where she's now asking me a little bit about, well, Dad, do you have to tithe? I say, yeah, I do tithe. And we start talking about the power of it. We start talking about the principles of it. And just like the Israelites, they were in bondage, they were in slavery, they were not free at all. And life was very different for them. I can now tell my little girl that dad wasn't always saved. Dad wasn't always in a relationship with God. In fact, before dad was saved, life was a bit of a mess. Before dad was saved, dad tried to do things his own ways and didn't always get it right. Before dad was saved, he was a bit of a wreck. But because of Jesus, because of the spotless lamb, because of the one that would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for dad, 
dad now in the place where he is redeemed. Dad is no longer bondage to sin. Dad is no longer in a place where he has the wages of death upon his life. Dad is no longer in a place where he he's a, as a walking wrecking ball. He's now in a place where he's been redeemed. He's been set up. He's been given a hope in the future. He's loved by God Almighty and he has been given the opportunity of eternal life. And I get to tell my daughter that this is why I give. I'm reminding of the mighty hand of God and now I get to come to him and be able to worship him and lift up his name as an as a, as, a, as, a, as a sacrifice to Him. And my daughter's still wrestling with this idea of, you mean I have to give 20 cents away? <laughs> but she's on this journey and as a parent, I'm teaching her, this is why we do what we do. It's not just a, a monetary exchange. It's a place of honour. It's a place of worship. It's a place where we get to lift up His name and worship Him. My life 16, as a 16-year-old was transformed because I understood the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and I had the opportunity to give my life to Him as my Lord and as my Saviour. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.